Well, how has your work been? been? I'll get it out. See, I'm excited because I've had a great week. Because on Tuesday at 2.09 p.m., my fourth grandson was born. How about that? Yeah, seven pounds, nine ounces, and his name is Ellis Sternworth Tokar. You almost have to use that with a British accent, you know, Ellis Sternworth Tokar. But anyhow, uh, doing great, and uh, I'm so excited to have uh, another grandson, and I think this is going to be the last grandchild. In fact, I'm praying this is the last grandchild. But anyhow, uh, we're excited to pray for us. Sonia and Austin and I are taking off after services today, and we're going to go to Dallas and to, to see our new family edition. Well, today, I got a question for you. How good of a friend are you? How good of a friend are you? Japanese proverb says, love without friendship is like a shadow without the sun. Now, what does that mean? You can't have one without the other. You can't have a shadow without light. And a lot of people will say, especially folks who have been married for a long time, say, well, I still love her, but I don't like her. I still love him, but I don't like him much. Well, that's incompatible. Because love and friendship have to be linked together. There's something wrong with love that doesn't have like with it. So... Looking at that question today, just how good of a friend am I? How good of a friend are you? There's a great Bible story that that I want to share with you today. One of my favorites is I was a a young boy growing up. I used to love this story. And we find it in in Luke, but first Proverbs 17, 7 says, A friend loves what? At all times, and a brother is born of adversity. So in Luke chapter 5, let's look at this story. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And so Jesus is is teaching, and there's a big crowd, and all these important dignitaries have come from all over Judea and Jerusalem. All these key religious leaders are there. And it said, the power came on Jesus that day to heal the sick. said, Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralytic on a map and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things this day. What a great biblical account. 
And in it is a fantastic formula for great friendship. Friendship that goes above and beyond. And I want to share with you four characteristics of great friendship this morning so that we can evaluate ourselves and say, how good of a friend am I? First, great friendship looks beyond human flaws. Verse 18 again, some some men came carrying a paralytic on a map. Now, to many in societies, this man was flawed. He couldn't walk. He was a paralytic. This was the day of patria opetestas. That's a Latin term for basically meaning choice of the father over life or death. This was Roman times. And when a Roman baby was born, and much of the Roman culture passed upon other cultures, every father would inspect the child. And the father had the right to either allow the child to live or to order the child's immediate death. It was patria, father, opetestas, choice of life or death. And so this was a day when those who had challenges, physically or emotionally, or whatever way, lived in a very precarious situation often. They were kind of the outcast society. There, there weren't laws like we have today that provide for their physical safety and their phys- physical comfort. This day, someone like this lived among his own. And not many healthy people would have anything to do with them. So this guy, in his paralytic condition, had more going for him than some people ever experienced. He had four healthy friends, unheard of in that day. Even today, sometimes we tend to kind of draw back from people who aren't like us. Some who have physical challenges, some who have emotional challenges, some who have social challenges, some who have, have, have fashion challenges, some who have odor challenges. We tend to kind of, because we don't understand them. This guy was so fortunate to have four healthy friends who cared enough about him that they want to get him to Jesus. Let me challenge you today to expand your circle of influence. You know, we we, kind of sometimes nest. You know what I mean? We nest with those like us, those in our social circle, those in our economic uh, circle, those in our physical circle. And we miss so much by not opening up our lives to other people who aren't just like us. I was really fortunate. I was raised in a home. My mother was a translator to deaf children. She worked in schools and, and during church services. She, she, she was here today, she'd be up here signing to the deaf. And so I grew up among deaf children. And it was a wonderful experience. It was a, it was a hilarious experience sometimes. You know, deaf people can't hear themselves speak, and I'm not making fun of them now because I love them dearly, but they speak with a little bit of an accent. They say, deaf, I'm deaf, I can't hear you. 
Well, we used to have fun with that. Because I used to run with my deaf kids. We'd go into McDonald's and, you know, come up there and run up the McDonald's at the counter and, and, and the cheery hostess behind me. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Can I help you? And they go, I'm deaf. I, I, and they wouldn't know what to do. So we'd go out and do that too. I'm deaf. You know, we, we'd play the game too. One day in particular, I remember, and I, I think I shared this story maybe one time with you many, many years ago. But uh, I was with Tim Price, one of my friends. He was a, he was a deaf guy. And Tim had a lead foot. I mean, he would drive fast. And so one day, we're, we're driving down the street, and he's flying down the street. And sure enough, boop, the red lights come on, pulled us over. Tim looked over at me, and he says, watch this. So the cop came up, rolled down his window, and the cop said, sir, can I see your identification and registration slip, please? And Tim said, up deaf, up deaf, and staggered the cop for a minute. The cop said, sir, can I see your driver's license. And Tim goes, up deaf, up deaf. And he tried a couple times, and finally the guy looks over me and says, would you tell your friend that, that I need to see his driver's license? I said, up deaf, up deaf. <laughs> Needless to say, the cop turned in frustration, went back to his car and took off, and we went on our merry way. You know, we... The moral of the story, for this story, my story, all of our stories, is everyone has so much to offer. We all have so much to offer. And we limit ourselves so often in just staying and nesting in our own little comfortable cocoon, our own little kingdom, when there's so much more out there. And when we see folks who, who, who are different than us, instead of trying to protect ourselves or shy away from because we're afraid of them, we need to engage them. Because not only will it be an encouragement to them, but it'll be a growing experience and an encouraging experience to us. So this guy had something going for him that probably very few people in his day had going. He had some real friends. And so, they heard that Jesus was in town. And they were excited to get their friend in front of Jesus. Can you imagine how excited they were? I mean, whatever their relationship and whatever the foundation of their relationship was, they were really excited because they knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. They knew that Jesus was healing the blind and the deaf and the mute and the lame. And don't you know, they went and say, whatever his name was, let's give him the name Simon. Simon, you're not going to believe it. Jesus is in town. Come on, man, we're getting you over there. You're not going to live like this anymore. We're getting you to Jesus. But what happened when they got there? It says in verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they got there and the place was swamped. They couldn't get near Jesus. They couldn't get into Jesus. You know, at this point, these guys would have been perfectly justified to say, Simon, sorry, man, we tried. We tried our best. I mean, we carried you all the way across town. We went and got you, and I, I, I'm sorry. It, it, it's just too many people, and they're not letting us in. Simon, I'm, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I'm sure Simon would have said, guys, thanks so much for loving me enough to even try. But see, 
not these guys. See, because great friends overcome all obstacles. And these friends, they were getting their friend in front of Jesus one way or another. And so what they did is they went up on the roof of the house and they estimated where Jesus was and they began to dig into that roof and they broke the tiles back and they opened a hole big enough to lower that guy right in front of Jesus. Now that's friendship. But there's another lesson in there that's easy to overlook. It says they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. Yeah, I got to thinking, who was this crowd? Who was this crowd keeping this paralytic man from, from getting before Jesus who was the only one on planet Earth who could heal him and allow him to walk again? Who was this crowd? Well, I got to thinking, well... When I go to a football game, who's there? Football fans. When I'm more cultured and I go to a symphony, who's there? Symphony fans, music fans. Well, who were these people? Well, this was a religious gathering. This was all the religious leaders, the bigwigs of Israel gathering. This was religious people. This guy couldn't get in because of the religious crowd. They wouldn't let him in. I thought about that. I said, Lord, today, how many spiritually paralytic people are there who can't see Jesus because of the religious crowd? Obstacle of our prejudices. I love the bridge, and I love our, our diversity. And people who come here always remark about that. And many people who associate with the bridge, associate with the bridge because of our diversity. But still, there's so many churches across America who live segregated experiences. See, it's an obstacle to people getting into that church because they're not welcome in that church. And they're not welcomed by people who hold prejudices. Now, immediately we think of the word prejudice, we think of ethnicity, and we should because that's where it's often demonstrated. But there's financial prejudices, there's fashion prejudices, there's vocational prejudices, there's neighborhood prejudices. And often I wonder how many times someone who is tenderhearted towards God can't get to God because of the prejudices of people of faith. There's the obstacle of our service. These guys had to go out of the way to go get their buddy. And when they would have been perfectly just to say, Simon, we did our best. We tried to get you to Jesus, but we can't get in because of the crowd. 
They went above and beyond what anybody would have expected. And at their own peril, because someone was going to have to pay to fix that roof. And I have no doubt they said, we'll incur that cost. But they were going to serve their buddy. And they dug through the roof of that house to get their buddy there. And we've been talking about this last couple weeks here at the bridge about our service are getting the word out to other people and, and the little things we do. People greeting people at the door and in the parking lot and people in the nursery and the children's ministry program and our deacons and our ushers and everyone that it takes to hold one service here at the bridge. And it takes over 100 people serving every week, every service to afford people coming into this building an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And when we don't serve, when we don't use our talents for the Lord, when we don't use our time for the Lord, when we don't participate in tithing, in giving, in supporting financially the work of a church, how many people might that be preventing from coming to faith in Jesus? Then there's the obstacle of our unconvincing lifestyles. We talked about that recently too, about how we, we come and on Sunday, we're, we are the best Christians in the whole world. And we sing hymns and praise and worship songs from the top of our lungs. And, and yet, what happens on Monday? Is our life as convincing? You know, those guys could have went to that paralytic guy that day and said, come on, man, there's this guy in town, there's this prophet in town. And the guy could have looked at this and said, what are you talking to me about prophets? You guys aren't religious. But see, something about them and the faith they had in Jesus and the friendship they had for their friend overcame any obstacle that presented itself. I thought to myself, Lord, please help the bridge not to be that kind of crowd. Help us to be the kind of crowd, the kind of community that helps people of all kinds, of all status, of all shapes, of all forms, of all standards of health. Help us to be the kind of church that brings them right to the face of Jesus, no matter what it costs us. Because great friends look beyond human flaws, at least in the eyes of society sometimes. Great friends overcome all obstacles, but here's where the story really gets exciting. Great friends move Christ to action. Look what happens here. Verse 20, when Jesus saw, read it with me. Their faith. Read that whole phrase with me. When Jesus saw. Wow. Jesus wasn't necessarily moved by the paralytic. I mean, Jesus was around people who were dealing with all kinds of infirmities every day. What caught Jesus' attention that day 
was not yet another person who, who had a need of some kind of miracle physically. What Jesus saw are four men of faith who believe so much in the presence and the power of Jesus to change lives that they did whatever they had to do to get their friend right in front of Jesus. Listen, sometimes it's our faith that moves God to work on behalf of somebody else. Not their faith. We don't know if this guy even had faith. We don't know much about this guy. This guy had been paralyzed. We don't know how long, maybe his whole life. He might have been a very bitter person. He might have been a very angry person. He might have complained and griped the whole way there. We don't know. But it didn't matter because it wasn't his faith. It was the friend's faith that made the difference. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, that child, that, that grandchild, they might seem like they don't give a rip about Jesus. And because of that, we might think, well, Jesus don't care a rip about them. But your faith can make all the difference in their life ultimately. Those co-workers who are obnoxious to be around. Godless, faithless, vile. Well, you know what? God can be moved toward their condition because of your faith, because of your friendship, because of your compassion. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wow. They thought they were just coming to get the guy physically healed. But Jesus was looking beyond that. And you have to remember that in this day, not only it was a day when, when those who had different challenges were considered subhuman and unimportant and even patrius opatestas can play out in their life. But people in this day believed that people who were blind, people who were deaf, people, people who, were, who were lame were in that condition because of sin, either their sin or the sin of their parents. And so Jesus was saying something spiritually, but he was also saying something cultural right now. Because that's what everyone would have been saying. They would have been saying, that guy's a sinner. He wouldn't be in that condition. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now the religious elite, the crowd who wouldn't let these guys in, they didn't like that very much. And they said, who does this guy think he is? saying your sins are forgiven you. Who do you think you are, buddy? Well, as we saw, 
as we read the whole passage, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so Jesus said to them, tell me, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, obviously, the first is easier to say, right? I mean, anybody can say, your sins are forgiven. See, that, 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 that's one of my gripe with these alleged faith healers out there in the world today. Hey, you know, they say, if you have faith, you'll be healed. And when they can't heal you, it's not their fault, it's your fault. You didn't have faith. See? But, 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 but not here. See, their faith was enough for Jesus. And so these, these religious elite, Jesus said, which is easier to say? He said, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority from God to heal people. He said to the guy, get up. Stand up, take that mat, and go home. And I love that too about Jesus. When Jesus heals, it's instantaneous. You know, we see all these movies and, and people get healed and they, they kind of tremble and their legs are shaking. Man, not this guy. He jumped up, boop, and picked up the thing, took off out the door. See, their faith moved Christ to action. Listen, don't deny it. Don't, don't discount that in your life. Listen, your faith is so powerful. Your faith is much more powerful than you think it is. And when you pray believing God sees your faith, and God's excited and moved by your faith, and God can move mountains just because we believe he can. Whether or not the people we're praying for or over believe it or not. But finally, great friends multiply friendship's impact. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Far more happened that day than another physically challenged human being being healed. Far more happened that day. Because of these four guys, not only did their friend run home that day, not only did it drastically change his life for the rest of his life that we know of, but everybody that day was a witness to the power of God through the person of Jesus Christ. It says everyone was amazed. They'd never seen anything like this. If they had cell phones back then, the internet would have been lit up with tweets. You're not going to believe what I just saw. And whatever means of communication was possible in that day, I promise you, it was buzzing. The town was buzzing. People were buzzing about what happened that day. And it wasn't just about a healing. It was about the power and the presence of God. And what gave them that opportunity? 
So, well, they just saw a miracle from Jesus. Yeah, but why were they able to see a miracle from Jesus? It's because of four friends. Four friends who looked beyond their friend's human condition, a condition where most of society that day would have rejected that person and would have doomed that person to a life of isolation, begging, and hopelessness. But it was four friends who looked beyond his physical condition. It was four friends who were willing to, to overcome whatever obstacle presented itself. These were real friends, and because they did what they did, everybody was blessed. Everybody went home what? Praising God. You know what? When we exhibit faith, when we're a friend to people, just by being people of faith, just by doing faithful things, just by being a presence that brings God into the picture. That might be in the lunchroom at work. When before we dig into our lunch, we pause and we fold our hands and we bow our heads and we thank Jesus for the food that we have and for this moment to to enjoy this food in quiet. We have no idea what God can do with that little bit of faith. When we look, as we've talked about before, beyond someone's at work, beyond their, their social reputation or their vocational reputation, and when we go and engage that person who is socially paralytic or vocationally paralytic, and everyone else, they're not worthy of their strata of of society, when we go to that person and help them pick up that mat, God has an opportunity to do things, to show himself and show his power through our faithfulness. I wonder how good of a friend are you? Great friends look beyond all human flaws, which really aren't flaws at all. They're just differences. Great friends overcome all obstacles. And because they do one and two, great friends move Christ to action. It's what we do often that makes the difference in the lives of other people. We're waiting for them to get their act together when all we need to do is what we're supposed to do. And it'll be enough to move God. And when we do one, two, and three, four is the natural result. We multiply friendship's impact to other people who are standing around watching what's going on, who are standing around listening to what's going on. And we don't necessarily even know they're around. But God does. And God reaches out to them as well as to the one that we're praying for. So let me leave you with a couple questions. How can you be a better friend? How can you be a better friend? 
As we looked at those things in this story this morning, what did the Holy Spirit say to you? Maybe it was, you know what? I need to enlarge my circle of influence. I, I need to get out and I need to make some new friends. I need to expand my influence. Maybe it's you've been hesitating because of some obstacle. Some obstacle has presented itself. And you're saying, well, you know, I'm sorry, I would have. I, I, I did, did we really do our best? Have we really looked for every possibility? How can you be a better friend? And then, here's the important one. Who can you be a better friend to? Who do you know that really needs a friend? Who do you know that's hurting out there? Who do you know that, that really needs Jesus? Who do you know that Jesus can make a difference in their life through your faithfulness? Let's bow our heads. God, what a, an amazing biblical encounter that we looked at today. God, how challenging it is, how exciting it is to see that Jesus was moved by the faith of other people. It doesn't take the people that we pray for as faith because their circumstances might, might be really challenging. But our faith can make a difference for them. And we know that Hebrew says, without faith, it's impossible to please you. And so we always think, well, that person has no faith, so they can't please you. But, but we stop there. We let that be an obstacle. We let their lack of faith be an obstacle to the power of our faith. Lord, help us to, to evaluate what kind of friend we are. Help us to reexamine our circle of influence. Are we those who go beyond the norms of our culture, go beyond the norms at our workplaces and our schools and our extended families? Or are we people who engage those who others don't want to engage or are afraid to engage because simply they're different than us? Lord, help us to have faith that moves Jesus to action. Sure, on behalf of us, and sure, on behalf of those that we love, but, but beyond that, so that our friendship can multiply its impact in the lives of others who see our faith and see how you work through our faith and are drawn to you to have a part in their life too. Use us for your glory. Make us better friends in Jesus' name. Amen.